You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Revelation. Here's Nate. The book of Revelation is the only book of the Bible that comes with its own divine outline. Jesus told John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, he told John to write the things that he had seen. And up to that point, there were 18 verses full of things that John had seen. And so he was to write those things down, namely the vision that he had of the heavenly and exalted Jesus Christ, the glorified Jesus, eyes like fire, hair as white as wool and as white as snow, feet like bronze and uh, his garments and girded about his chest with a golden band and uh, his uh, sword protruding from his mouth. John saw those things and so he would write them down. And then Jesus said, and also write the things which are. Write the things which are. And in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus communicated seven letters through John to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And John would have been fully conscious at the time of writing these things that these were churches that were in existence at the time of their writing. And so the letters to the churches, the things that are. And then Jesus said, and write the things which will take place after this. And in chapter 4, verse 1, twice that phrase is repeated, after this, after these things. And John was called up into the throne room of God, where in chapter 4, he is infatuated with the throne and everything that happens around the throne, the glory of God coming from the throne of God, the elders casting down their crowns before the Lord, the worship of the cherubim as they fly around the throne of God. And so Revelation 4, the throne room of God. And then in chapter 5, he shifts his attention to something that is found in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And that, of course, is the scroll that is sealed with seven seals. And the question is asked, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? No one was found worthy, and John began to weep. But as he began to weep, one of the elders came over to him and said, Don't worry, and don't weep, because the lion of the tribe of Judah has been found worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And so John looked, and he saw the lion of the tribe of Judah, who appeared to him as a lamb that had been slain. This, of course, is Jesus. And he takes the scroll, everyone praises and worships. And then in Revelation chapter 6, we come back down to planet Earth, and Jesus begins to loosen the seals on that scroll. Now, as I said, there were seven seals that were to be loosed. Now, in the first six seals, there was great worldwide disaster and, uh, you know, horrible things took place upon the earth. Vegetation, the economy, worldwide war, the revealing of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 6. But in Revelation 7, we see that there is also, at the same time, simultaneously, it seems, a great revival. 
144,000 Jewish super witnesses preach the gospel to the nations. And although many people lose their lives for believing in Christ, many people do give their hearts and their lives to Jesus during this time, this, this end of the age, the time of Jacob's trouble. And then in Revelation chapter 8, the seventh seal is opened. And when it is opened, there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. And the reason for that is very simple. This seventh seal is full of seven trumpet judgments uh, from God. And in Revelation chapter 8, the first four of those seven trumpet judgments are revealed. And then here in chapter 9, we're going to see the fifth and the sixth trumpet. And then there will be a break in the action where we will see many different elements revealed during that sixth trumpet before the blast of the seventh trumpet, which will then reveal the seven bull judgments of the wrath of God. So things are getting progressively worse, more and more intense as we move through this text. And that brings us today to the fifth trumpet in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. It says, The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, you might remember in chapter 6, there were the first four seals that were loosed. And then there was a break where the martyrs began crying out to God and asking God when he would avenge their blood. And a similar thing seems to be happening here. There's a little bit of a gap between the fourth trumpet and the fifth trumpet. It happens at the end of chapter 8, the eagle flying in the sky saying, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And so these three woes, because these last three trumpets are increasingly intense. And so just a small gap before the fifth angel is blasted. And when it sounds, it says in verse 1 that he saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. Now, uh, we prefer, if possible, to interpret Revelation literally uh, whenever it makes sense. But here we can see that this is no mere star. For John says, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So this star is no mere star or a meteor. This is an actual being. He was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So I believe that this is a fallen angel. And I think in this next chapter, we're going to come face to face with the demonic realm. And he is given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, literally the abyss. Now in the Old Testament, there was uh, Hades, of course. It seemed to be a holding place, a, a place of protection uh, for God's people. Uh, and Jesus seemed to go there to set the captives free, to proclaim liberty to the captives. But then on the other side of that, there is the abyss. And this would be what Peter referred to in 2 Peter 2 verse 4 when he called, uh, he talked about the fallen angels reserved in chains of darkness or Jude 6, chains under darkness. 
And so this is a, a horrible place and a place that is reserved as a holding place of those who are to be judged forever in the lake of fire. Jesus says in Matthew 25 verse 41 that this lake of fire has been created by God to judge the devil and his angels. And unfortunately, there will actually be human souls that go to that place. It speaks of darkness and fire in a simultaneous sense. A horrible place. And this fallen angel is given a key. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. This is a horrible moment in the book of Revelation, a horrible moment in those final seven years of the world as we know it, where basically what appears to be happening here and i don't want to put too fine of an edge on it that's not my heart or desire in the book of revelation but it seems as if this fallen angel who is given the key he opens the shaft of the bottomless pit a place where fallen angels where the demonic realm in many ways is held captive and it seems as if uh, as he opens up the abyss there's the unleashing of the demonic realm on earth in a horrible and ugly way. Locusts, of course, in the Old Testament were used uh, by God to judge his people from time to time. They would come in and consume all their crops. And, of course, this was one of the plagues that was brought against the nation of Egypt. And so, Locusts, a very common form of judgment in the Old Testament, but we must confess that these locusts are different. They aren't to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. No, that's not their target. Their target is actually people, people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, people that God allows them to go after, and they have this scorpion-like sting. I'm not exactly sure what that will be like, but obviously there will be pain. I don't know if this will be merely physical pain or if it will include psychological pain or emotional pain. But in those days, people will seek death, verse 6, and will not find it. And so this fifth trumpet is going to introduce the commingling of the physical world with the spiritual demonic realm in a way like we've never seen it before. I mean, we have witchcraft and false religions that dabble in the demonic realm, but we have seen absolutely nothing up to this point. And here, this demonic realm is going to be released, in a sense, upon the earth. It's going to be a horrible time, a painful moment for mankind. In appearance, verse 7, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, 
On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They're just horrible creatures. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek he is called Apollyon which uh, means destruction and destroyer. So, you know, many people read this description that John gives of these locusts and attempt to find some kind of physical, you know, earthly representation of this. You know, these are some kind of military grade helicopter or something like that. But I think it's fairly obvious with Abaddon and uh, whose name is also Apollyon in charge of them. He is the the angel of the bottomless pit. He is their king and leader. I think it's obvious that this is some kind of demonic thing. Now, do I know exactly how this is going to unfold or do I know exactly what this will look like? No, absolutely not. Uh, and I don't plan on being here. I believe at this point, the church is absent from the world. But again, the world is going to see the supernatural in its ugliest sense. Uh, as these demons are released upon the earth, great power and pain coming from them. Now, verse 12, John writes and says, the first woe, you remember the three woes that were pronounced in chapter eight, woe, 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 each woe connected to the last three trumpets. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel, so now we have the sixth trumpet, blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, when it comes to the releasing of bound angels, at this point in the text, I think we can surmise that this is probably not a good thing, but probably a very horrible thing. I, I believe these are probably more than likely fallen angels that have been bound by the Lord. And, and there they are, bound at the great river Euphrates. This was a landmark of ancient Babylon, a boundary of the old Roman Empire. And uh, there's a connection here. The river Euphrates to the ancient world. It causes us to remember Eden. It, it is mentioned during the time of Cain and the time of Babel. And so here he says, release these four angels. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Just an absolute slaughter that takes place. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses, verse 17, in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed 
by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. And so, again, this appears to me to be some kind of demonic army that is released, just slaughtering people on the earth. The rest of mankind, verse 20, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, the thing about this whole chapter is that as a response to all of these plagues, there's an absolute hard-heartedness. There's an unwillingness to confess sin. There's an unwillingness to repent of murders and sorceries and sexual immorality and thefts. And they continue to worship demons and, and idols. And so you can tell that there's just an absolute hard-heartedness within man at this moment in time. Now, as we read that in Revelation chapter 9 and we see this hard-heartedness, I think it's hard for us to imagine, you know, that this kind of catastrophe would be coming upon the world and this kind of demonic uh, army would be unleashed upon the world and that mankind would still not repent. And I think it speaks to the fallen condition of the human heart and the ability of the human conscience and the human heart to become sealed and seared and, uh, you know, just hardened against God. Now, the other thing here in Revelation 9 is that, you know, I mean, on one hand, this is just sort of put in my, I can't wait to see how this actually unfolds file. Uh, I said, I, I don't like to put too fine of an edge on details like these. And the reason for that is I, I'm not exactly sure how, how all of this is going to unfold. And one major question I have that I'll be looking for and, and hoping to get an answer to is simply, was John seeing something that was invisible to the world? You know, the demonic realm unleashed and just chaos upon the world. Perhaps the world is experiencing pain. People want to die. Many people are dying and all of that. And they're experiencing these plagues as a result. Perhaps they're seeing all of that, but they're not seeing the cause. And John, having been given this vision from God, he sees the spiritual reality behind it but perhaps the world doesn't. And so I'm curious to see how this all unfolds in the future. And uh, as I said, I hesitate to put too fine of an edge on it. All I know is this is going to be a brutal time in the history of mankind, but it definitely demonstrates the hardness of heart on the earth. Now in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Then I saw another mighty angel. And so we have a little break now before we actually get to the seventh trumpet, which will lead us to the seven bull or vile judgments. He says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a 
rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And so John receives this gracious and merciful vision from God. I say gracious and merciful because, my goodness, when you read Revelation 6 and you see the catastrophe, isn't it refreshing to read Revelation chapter 7, that there is a worldwide revival? And when you read Revelation chapter 8 and 9, it is so refreshing to just pause. And so I think this is just the grace of God pausing, ministering to John, and this angel comes to minister to him. Now, some believe that this angel is actually uh, not just a created angel, but the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, he has this cloud over him, symbolizing perhaps the glory of God, the rainbow. He comes in the cloud just as he will in his second coming. His face is glorious. His uh, feet are reminiscent of the feet of Jesus. And, and uh, you know, he's got uh, a book. He speaks with this loud voice. It sounds like a lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But, of course, many others just simply believe that this is an actual angel. And I think you can make that case as well, that uh, Jesus comes in the clouds, but he's not clothed with the clouds. He's clothed with linen. And uh, this is actually a better description of the Father's glory than the glory of Christ. And his eyes were like fire, and his feet were like fine brass refined in the fire. And, and, and his voice was not like a lion, but like the sound of many mighty waters. And so, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, it seems to me that the text refers to him as an angel. And so I believe that this is probably a, a different character than Jesus coming and, and ministering on Jesus' behalf to his man, John. In verse 4, when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. Now, this is interesting. He was about to write down the thing that the seven thunders had sounded. But I heard a voice from heaven, he says, saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now, of course, this has caused many people to try to wildly speculate and figure out what these seven thunders said. And uh, there are many different guesses and estimations and, and all of that. But I think this is God's way of communicating that even though this book is revealed, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, even though it's an unsealed book, and even though there's much understanding that we can gain from the book of Revelation, I think God in his grace is communicating right here in the middle of the book that, you know, we don't know everything. There are some things that God has reserved, some things that he has not told us, it reminds me of the phrase of Paul in Romans chapter 11 when he cries out and says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. There are just things that we don't know about the Lord and things that we don't know about his uh, future plans for the earth. And so he hears the thunders, 
but then he has to seal them up. And I think the humble heart would accept that rather than trying to figure out what was said. Just receive it. There are certain things we just do not know. And the angel, verse 5, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Now this is absolutely glorious. The reason that this whole thing takes place and the angel came with his feet, you know, one on the sea and one on the land and and the whole reason that he's there with his scroll and ministering to John and crying out and the thunders thundering is to basically pronounce and say that all that God has promised that all things would melt with a fervent heat and that there would be a new heavens and a new earth and that there is redemption possible in Christ, in him. All of that mystery, he says, would be fulfilled shortly. In other words, God is giving a fair warning and he's saying, listen, we're close here to the end. I am finally ready to fulfill. He says in verse 6, there will be no more delay. And of course, it's the grace of God and the patience of God, the mercy of God, the long-suffering nature of God that has caused such a delay. However, here he announces it's about to go down. When this seventh trumpet is blasted uh, and those seven bowls are poured out upon the world, we're going to see the end, the consummation of all things. In verse 8, he says, Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go and take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel, who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. How intimidating for John. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Now this is very reminiscent of the Old Testament, especially Ezekiel chapter 2. And when Ezekiel is handed a scroll or a book, he's told to eat it, that there was sweetness when he ate it, but also bitterness that came after. And a very similar thing happens here. When you eat it, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, he says, it will be sweet as honey. And I think in one sense, we're discovering that as we read the book of Revelation, as we study that, hey, the end of all things is near. There's a new heavens and a new earth that is promised that is sweet. But when we see the demonic forces unleashed and we see great judgment and wrath and loss of life and rebellion against God, that in itself is bitter. And so John took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And it seems here at this point that John was now refreshed and ready to share the word of God again. He had eaten it and now it's time for him to communicate it once again. 
showing and demonstrating again that God uses people who have been consuming his holy word. So we understand now as we read these things that this can be very bitter on one hand, but also very sweet. The Lord's return is near and sometime soon, I hope and believe, he will redeem all things and we will see the end and we will see his glory. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.